It's a joy, it's a delight to welcome you to our fellowship today. We're here to honor and worship our Lord Jesus Christ. He's the central focus of Christmas. We're bringing this particular Christmas season to a close. want to honor again the wonderful, marvelous, saving work of our Lord Jesus Christ coming into this world, becoming humanity in order that he might save us from our sins. We continue with our verse that is so important in these days. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. We need the touch of God more than we need a vaccine any day of the year. The problem is not the virus, the problem is the wickedness, and God is drawing us to himself in these days. And I trust we will wonderfully hear his voice. So thank you again for becoming a part of this service today. We're looking to the blessing of God and trust that this day will be a day of tremendous encouragement and help and blessing in your life in a very personal way. Scripture lesson time, and take your Bibles, please. It's good to read along. Don't just listen. Don't be under. This is not entertainment time. This is edification time, profit time. And major profit comes when we open God's Word together and we read. And we'll read the Christmas account from Matthew, Matthew chapter one, beginning with verse number eighteen, and it continues past the chapter division to verse eleven of chapter two. I do want to remind you that if you did not get a Bible reading schedule and you would like to have one, <laughs> contact Julie through the office at office at hamiltonsquare.org or online at hamiltonsquare.org, either way, and we'll make sure that you get that uh, so that you can have uh, at least a schedule as to how to get through your Bible in the new year. Let's read in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, and we'll read through chapter 2 and verse 11. Matthew 1, 18 to 2, 11. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise, when as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph, before they came together she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privately. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had, for, had bidden him, and took unto him his wife, and knew her not until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east, and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where where Christ should be born. 
And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the, hand of, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when ye have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. May God bless the reading of his word. Last Sunday we brought a message from the texts in John's Gospel, chapter 1. The communicating God, who is here called the Word, our Lord Jesus Christ, literally became flesh, and he tented, he lived among us, made his residence among us, and as such, uh, he displayed the glory of his Father. He was the uniquely begotten of the Father, and we beheld his glory, and that's the word theater. We looked at him carefully. We observed his life, his ministry. We listened to his words. He truly was God in flesh. But this word made flesh was filled full of divine favor and truth. And uh, John the Baptist uh, preached about him and declared him to be the Son of God. He that comes after me is preferred before me. He existed before me. And John the Baptist said, Out of his fullness we've all received in this wonderful expression, grace upon grace, divine favor piled on top of divine favor, piled on top of divine favor. And you'll notice the word received. Have we all received? The favor is not piled on top of us because we're doing something or we're going somewhere or we're fulfilling some kind of a mission. It is the favor of God in the person of the uniquely begotten Son of God, God's Word, God's communication to us in the person of His Son, who becomes our Savior. And uh, we have seen that it is out of His fullness that we receive all of this. It's not out of human works. It's not out of religious constructions. It is out of his divine fullness that we are recipients of this tremendous outpouring of divine favor. Moses was a great prophet. He gave us the law. He gave us what we must do in offering sacrifices. But the sacrifice there was given by the individual who wanted forgiveness in the New Testament. We receive forgiveness by receiving the Lamb of God. By receiving a sacrifice, not making a sacrifice, not providing a sacrifice, but by receiving a sacrifice, our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to go to the Old Testament because this, this is a, an interesting psalm in Psalm 81. We will, I'll, read through the whole, I'll read through the whole chapter here just, just to get the context of this whole thing. And then we'll walk our way through various points in this psalm. 
Before we look at it, it's very interesting that this is a psalm, and you wouldn't you wouldn't know this by just looking at it on the surface, but the commentaries the commentary writers agree uh, that this particular psalm is a New Year's psalm, and uh, it is a celebration the first day of the year, and the first of the year in the Jewish calendar has to do with the Passover. It has to do with the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. It's a tremendous time of celebration. It's the birth of the nation uh, out of Egypt. Just a tremendous celebration that, that was there. And, and that is in reference at the beginning of Psalm 81. So I hope that you have the notes. I hope you print them out. They will be useful and helpful. And your prophet, and that's what I'm after, your prophet will be much more if you will do so. Psalm 81 verse 1, Sing aloud unto God our strength. And make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Take a psalm. Bring hither the timbrel, the pleasant harp with the psaltery. Blow the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed on our solemn feast day. For this was a statute for Israel, a law of the God of Jacob. That is, observing this special time. Thus he ordained in Joseph, or that's in Israel, for a testimony. When he went out through the land of Egypt, where I heard a, a language I understood not, I removed his shoulder from the burden. What a celebration this was. You'll see a picture of them leaving the land of Egypt. I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. And they got in trouble when they left. Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. Selah. In other words, Selah means just pause. And think that one through, okay? Think that one through. Here, O my people, I will testify unto thee, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. Pay attention or listen to me. There shall be no strange God in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. I am the Lord thy God. I am Yahweh thy God, who brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken to my voice. Israel would none of me. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I should soon have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The haters of the Lord would have submitted themselves unto him, but their time should have endured forever. He should have fed them also with the finest of wheat, with honey out of the rock. I should have sustained Thee. So we, we have the challenge of God to remember the deliverance that God has in our life to celebrate the beginning, the really begin, the real beginning of life is when we are birthed into the kingdom of God. It, it is our new birth. All the Israelites were alive in Egypt, but they were alive in bondage. They were alive without their own identity as the children of God, as the people of God, as the nation of God. And it was it, it was their birth out of Egypt as a nation, and they were to celebrate this. This was to be considered to them as the most important day of the year, the most important event of the year, the most important event of their life as a Jewish nation. They celebrated this with the week celebration that preceded the Passover. Life begins, according to your notes, and it does, with the sacrifice of the Lamb and the accompanying miracles. So God's love moved him to directly intervene in their lives in tangible ways. Sing to joy to God our strength. 
Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. You and I live in days of turmoil and struggle, and life as a whole is a struggle. It, that happened in Genesis chapter 3, and it hasn't changed. When Adam and Eve walked out, of, walked out from God, walked away from God in the garden, the whole world changed. Life became miserable in a sense. She said, even in birth, you're going to have pain and sorrow, and the ground is going to grow thorns and thistles. The adversities of life started in Genesis chapter 3. So without, without the new heavens and the new earth, there will be no deliverance from this. Just will not be. But all of this happened. And then God came and intervened. They were in bondage in Egypt, and God intervened in a very wonderful way. Then he set it up in, in verse 4 as a statute, as an ordinance. He wanted them to do it. He established it for a testimony in Jacob. I've got three items that come out of that verse, three, three notes. How important is it that we recognize the work of God in our lives? Now listen, we get bogged down in difficulties and hardships, and we lose our perspective. All of us do that. And when the pressures come in, then we begin to feel, and we begin our spirits begin to... Uh, to, to bow down and to struggle under the burden and the weight and the load. But we need to come back and to remember. Well, that's one of the joys of the Lord's Supper. It brings us back. It brings us from the depths back up to the heights. And without that renewal, without that remembrance, without that celebration, there is no... Well, what else do you have to celebrate in life? Look at the political scene. It's a mess. Look at the economic scene. Well, your IRA is maybe doing well, but... Look at the needs around you. Just, just, just look at the whole mess we're living in, and and we need something to lift us up out of this and to bring us back to a state of rejoicing and joy. There needs to be some celebration in life, and if we can't celebrate God, I want to promise you we have very little to celebrate. That's why they always pour a lot of alcohol in their celebration because they have to numb the senses. We don't need our senses numbed. We need our senses revived Amen. in a spiritual way. So. So it is important for us to recognize that God made it a statute and an ordinance for that reason. Our values in life need to line up with those of God, our Creator and Redeemer. The recognition of God and His place in our lives is not optional for the believer. I want to tell you again, the observance of the Lord's Supper is extremely important. God set this business of the Passover as an ordinance in Israel. And he said, I want you to get together and celebrate. They labored hard. They were under many pressures as a nation sometimes. There were other nations that had put them into subservience. But, but they were to take time every year to celebrate the fact that God is a victorious God. He's a loving God. He's a redeeming God. He lifts us out of our struggles. And we need that. I'm talking to somebody today that needs to come out of your depression and despondency. And you, you're not going to find it in your circumstance. You're only going to find it in the goodness of God, in the grace of God, in the favor of God through Christ Jesus our Lord. And the public declaration here becomes a declaration of God and his works before men. It becomes a public testimony. And this declaration is about that which is real and verifiable in our lives. If you have not been genuinely saved, you really don't know what this is all about. There's a vivid description of events. They were in Egypt under slave labor. And the labor got harder and it got harder. 
And the deliverance was real and it was miraculous and it was powerful and it was wonderful. And it was wonderful. So the Lord's Supper, as we have said, is one of the church's great public testimonies. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim. King James says show. Proclaim means to make a full declaration of the Lord's death until he come. And listen, you say, does God love me? Well, you need to go back. You need to go back to the Lord's Supper again. Does one die for someone he doesn't love? Does he? We proclaim the Lord's death. But what does his death mean unless it's for us? The Lord's death for us until he comes. So this statute of remembrance was established on the basis of God's passing through the land in judgment and sparing his people with great acts of redemption. He talks about Meribah. This happened in the wilderness, and uh, let's take a look there, because we're facing a new year, and, and we've got our perspective as we face the new year. So in Exodus 17, all the congregation of the sons of Israel journeyed by stages from the wilderness of sin. This was in the first year of their journeys. According to the command of the Lord, encamped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. And that's where some of you are right today. You are at a place in your life where you don't have the emotional strength, you don't have financial capacity, you do not have what you need. You were there. You're living there right now. And that's where they were. But what the people did was they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water that we may drink. Of course, Moses within himself had no power to give them water. So they're complaining to Moses and he said, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted for water, they grumbled against Moses why now have you brought us up from Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? I'm amazed at how the devil lies about God. I have a little saying that God never puts you out on the end of the branch and saws the, the limb off. He doesn't do that. When you walk in the will of God, if you're out on the end of the limb and you're about to fall off, God is going to be there. And he will be there before you get there, by the way. Yes. You will find out that that is true. So in verse 4, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, what shall I do to this people a little more, and they will stone me? Then the Lord said to Moses, Pass before the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, take in your hand your staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water will come out of it. Now I promise you that is not the way to get water out of a rock. I don't know anybody that drills wells for water has ever done that. But this is God. Strike the rock, water will come out of it that the people may drink. You're going to be amazed what God uses to meet your need. You will be absolutely, utterly amazed. So Moses did so in the sight of Israel and the in sight of the elders of Israel. He called the place Massa, which means test, and Meribah quarrel, because of the quarrel of the sons of Israel, because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Wow. So amazing how God got water out of that rock. He got, there was a river that came out of that. There was a river that came out of that rock. So there's a lesson from this in verse 8. Hear, O oh my people, I will admonish you, O Israel, if you would listen to me. <laughs> if you will just pay attention now. First of all, you don't want to have any false dependencies in your life. Now the God, the word God here represents something on which you are depending for your deliverance and your help. There wasn't any, there wasn't any resource that they had available to them. There was no God they could make could get water out of that rock. It, it, that could not happen. 
And when you and I are looking to our material resources, we are looking to our own personal strength, our own emotional strength, our own intellectual strength and prowess. When we look to our own human capacities and our human resources, they become our gods and we need to be looking to the one who gives beyond our own resources. This is the joy of the Christian life, is that we live beyond our own resources. We give beyond our own resources. Let there be no strange God among you. Don't worship any foreign God. I'm your God. And what he's saying here is, I'm everything that you need. You don't need anything else but me. And may I say, even in the midst of COVID, it is God we need above and beyond everything else. Amen. Everything else and beyond. He's saying here, and I'd like you to underline it if you have the notes, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I did these tremendous miracles in the land of Egypt, ten great miracles, concluding with the death of the firstborn. Then there was the deliverance at the sea when the sea opened up and on dry land they marched through and Pharaoh's entire army was, was washed into destruction in the waters that closed in upon them. As they, as they tried to follow the children of Israel. God was at work. There must be, listen, if you want to see the power of God in your life, you need to look to God. Now, as long as you're looking to all these other things, you're going to find, a lot, to, to a great extent, failure and inadequacy. There must be a recognition there is no other genuine God in existence. And you'll notice I put this in here, luck was not in the picture. It is absolutely amazing, Christians, we talk like pagans. I was lucky. No, you were not lucky, you were blessed. Amen. Amazing to me how even with Christians, luck gets the credit for the good things in your life. That's blasphemous. God gets the credit for the good things in life. With the average person, luck gets the credit for what's good, and then God gets blamed for what's bad. Absolutely amazing. I will never forget the, the, the great, great talk show artist in the 20th century, Larry King. Every time he'd have a preacher on his show, he would say, why does God allow all this evil and wickedness? He would always blame God for the bad. God would get blamed for what was bad and never get credit for what was good. Luck is not in the picture if we have blessing, it is from God. God must be praised. He must be glorified. He must be thanked. Luck needs to be purged, and fortunate needs to be purged out of our vocabulary. God deserves all of the credit. And then the, our ultimate response to God should be an opened mouth to welcome and receive His fullness. Now, I ask myself the question, maybe you can help me with this. Would you please explain to me? <laughs> these, these people had received a, a historic divine deliverance in Egypt. Miracle after miracle after miracle. And God is amazed that instead of looking to him for the next miracle, and listen, the, the last miracle will suffice only so long. You're going to need another one, and another one, and another one. The need for miracles in our lives never stops. <laughs> It never comes to an end. But instead of looking to God, they begin looking to everybody else. They were looking to Moses for what only God could do. Instead of seeking God, they were arguing with Moses. Could you please explain to me why it is that you and I are so reluctant to really 
open up wide to receive God's blessing in our life. And open up wide so that out of the difficulties of our life, His purposes, can, we can embrace His purposes in our difficulties. Why can't we do that? Don't we know that God is a good God? You know, of His fullness, out of His fullness, we've all received grace piled on top of grace, piled on top of divine favor, divine favor upon divine favor upon divine favor. Why don't we open up to that? Don't we know about it? <laughs> what do we don't have confidence in it? Well, what, what is it? What is it? Uh, and I'm the same as you. I live at the same address now. <laughs> I don't live at a different address. So when I have great needs, that's when I need to get a greater capacity to receive from God what I need uh, so that God can work in my life. Now, let's go on quickly because I we're going to get to the fruit of an open heart shortly here. My people did not listen to my voice. Israel did not obey me. I gave them over then to the stubbornness of their own desires. This, this is a tremendous, and I've preached a sermon on this in days gone by. In Psalm 78, verse 18, speaking of, of, of their... Uh, journey in the wilderness, they tempted God in their heart by asking meat for their lust. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart. They tempted God in their heart, asking meat for the lust. Yea, they spoke against God. And notice the, the, the colored font here. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now ask yourself that question. What is the wilderness? It's a place of no water. It's a place of no food. It's a place of no resources. It's a hot place. It's a hostile place. Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? And if you're living there, ask yourself that question. Is God able to take my wilderness experience and make it a miracle experience in my life? An experience of the fullness of the divine favor of God. Is God able to do that? I'm going through things I don't like. And I think that you're going through things you don't like. Am I guessing right? I think I guess correctly. So, so can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Behold, he smote the rock. Waters gushed out. The streams were overflowing. Well, can he give bread too? Can he provide meat for his people? And obviously he did. He did. He did. He did. Can God set a table? Can God prepare a table? Can God furnish a table in the wilderness? Now, when, when we don't listen to God... Yeah, I think I think perhaps the greatest judgment that God can visit on visit to us as individuals is He can abandon us to our own devices. You think that one through? That would be one of the greatest judgments that God could ever visit on a man or a woman, to abandon us to our own devices. That would be an extreme tragedy. Proverbs talks about that. They would not accept my counsel. They spurned all of my reproof, so they shall eat of the fruit of their own way and be satiated with their own devices. You see, and this, this, this note, maybe I ought to just stand harp for about ten minutes on this. God's people, instead of opening their mouth wide, now hear me, we all do this. God's people put God in chains and cut off his power. That's what they did effectively by insisting that it had to be solved and resolved in their own way and on their own terms. They cut off God's power, God's provision, and God's abundance from their lives in the time of their greatest need. Absolutely amazing. We put God in chains so God is hindered. 
And that, 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 is, that word is used in the Psalms. They hindered him. They limited the Holy One of Israel. We do this to God. And if we hinder and we limit God, what are we doing? <laughs> what are we doing in our lives? We need to humble ourselves and say, all right, God, now look. It's not my way. It's going to be your way. Not my way, your way. It's not what I want. It's what you want. It's not where I want to go. It's where you want to take me. This is the attitude we need to have as we face a new year. Are we putting God in chains? Are we limiting and hindering God's fullness in our life? Open your mouth, what? Wide. And I will fill it of his fullness we've all received and divine favor heaped upon divine favor, piled upon divine favor. But that only happens when we have a thirsty heart for the blessing of God and we're not after our own way and pursuing our own goals and pursuing our own ambitions in life. We're pursuing His and not ours. The fruit of an open heart, Psalm 37.3, Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, cultivate, cultivate, cultivate faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will do what? He will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 107, He satisfies the thirsty soul and the hungry soul He has filled with what is good. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and what? Drink. Open your mouth wide. If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. In that day you will not question me about anything. Truly, truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. And by the way, if we ask it in his name, it has to be with his approval. It has to be something he approves, he ordains, and he designs. Then we go on to page number four. In Ephesians, Paul is saying that we might know the love of Christ which passes which surpasses knowledge, that we might be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now, what is in the heart and mind of God? Now, did Paul have hardships? Oh, read, read. <laughs> read his qualifications. Stone, shipwrecked, beaten with rods, hunger, thirst, dangers of robbers and rivers, and all the rest of this stuff. Wow. You say, did God love Paul? Was Paul a godly man? Was God a spirit-filled man? Was Paul a failure? Because all those bad things happened to him. But Paul's life was filled with the spirit of the living God. And here's what Paul says about God. God is not a stingy God. He's not a God that delights, that delights in seeing his children suffer. Notice what he says here in the conclusion of this verse, verse number 20, Ephesians 3. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, King James says exceeding abundantly, above, beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. What is the disposition of God toward you and me? And again, I'm talking to people today. You're at the bottom, you're at the bottom, very bottom emotionally of your life. Does God love me? What's in it for me? What in the world is happening to me? You're at the end of your rope. What is in the heart and mind of God? 
What's the answer to this? Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Of his fullness we've all received. There's got to be a receptive heart and mind. There's got to be a disposition that admits the work and the ways and the will of God and the purposes and plans of God in your life. Revelation, that wonderful verse in chapter 22, The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes take the water of life freely. That is without cost. In Isaiah 44, 3, precious verse, I will pour water on him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Notice the word dry ground. That is where we live most of the time. I will pour out my spirit on your seed, on your offspring, and your blessing my blessing upon your descendants, your offspring, your descendants. I will pour water on him that is thirsty. And instead of becoming thirsty for the blessing of God, so many times we become bitter and disenfranchised in our thinking. And we begin, instead of going to God, we wander away from God. And then we begin depending on all of the people around us who have failed us in the first place. And upon all the things that have failed us in the first place, and we don't get, go to the source of blessing. Wonderful, wonderful hymn. We don't sing it often enough. Come, thou fount of, tune my heart to sing your praise. Streams of mercy, never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. And so there's the plea of God to us, and this to me, again, is an amazing thing. It's like it's it's like a billionaire. We used to have, when I was a boy, it was millionaires. Now it is multi-billionaires. And by the time you're done, you, you, it may be trillionaires. <laughs> Maybe trillionaires. And, and it's like standing in time of need bef before a billionaire, a multi-billionaire who loves you. And then looking to people who don't have anything and wanting them to fulfill your needs rather than the one who's got everything. That's what we do in life, and I don't know why that is. It's a terrible thing about you and about me. Oh, that my people would listen to me. You people don't, you, you, you don't pay attention when I talk. You, you don't really understand that I'm genuine, I'm real. I'm real. When, when I say open your mouth wide and I will fill it, I mean that. I don't change. I don't change my mind. All of the promises of God are yea and amen in Jesus Christ. Listen to me. Pay attention. I'm genuine in who I say I am. I have come to you in flesh in the person of my son. I've died for you. I've taken you to death on the cross. I've buried you in the tomb in my son. I've raised you from the dead. And I have seated you in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Pay attention to me. You can trust me. You can trust me. The problem is you want one outcome and I, that's not the outcome I want. Ooh, maybe that's the problem. That gets in the way so much. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies, turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you. Now notice this. This is what I want to do. This is what I desire to do. I desire to feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. There are three things in here. Victory over the powers of darkness. I will quickly subdue, subdue their enemies. Intimidation of their enemies. They would feign obedience, pretend obedience. 
and fullness of all of life and spiritual prosperity. The finest of wheat, honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. What a God. The Word became flesh. That's the proof. He lived among us. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the uniquely begotten of the Father, filled with grace and truth. Filled full. That's what we receive of Him. Of His own plenitude, of His own fullness, we've all received in divine favor. Stacked on divine favor. Stacked on top of divine favor. That really, if we understand it right, is the story of the life of every believer. Now, do we recognize it? Can we see it? Do we live on that basis? And in this new year, I would challenge you. Open your mouth wide. Let God fill it. And remember that He's not going to fill you with everything you want. He's going to fill your life with His fullness, which is much better than what you and I want. It's not what I want, it's what He desires for me. It is His plan, His pleasures, His purposes for my life. And in all of this will be an experience of His fullness. This is what God has for those that will pay attention to Him and believe that He is who He says He is and that He will do what He says He will do. And much prayer is needed. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock it shall be opened unto you. If my people call by my name, humble themselves. Pray. Seek my face. Turn from their wicked way. I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. God is a good God. God is a great God. Open your mouth wide. Let him fill it. And if you and God have a controversy about the goals of your life, about what's happening in your life, I want to, I want to just challenge you. Be like the dear Chinese pastor who was praying to God and he said, Now God, you and I are having, you and I are having a controversy. We're having an argument over this thing. And he said, Now God, don't give up until you win. Embrace God's will, God's ways for your life fully. And when you do, open your mouth wide, because if you don't, you'll never make it. You're not going to make it on your own strength. You're not going to make it on your own resources. That's not possible. But the grace of God, the fullness of God, will be poured out into the heart and life of the one whose mouth is wide open toward God. Open and thirsty and hungry for the work of God in his life. It might be you've never met the Savior. The things I've talked about are impossible in your life until you come in an act of repentance, which is an act of surrender to God. And say, God, now you are right and I'm wrong, and I need your forgiveness. I need your salvation, your deliverance. I am a sinner lost and hopeless and undone. And unless you've supernaturally changed my life, nothing is possible for me. But I turn to you, Lord Jesus, come and save me today from my sin. Come and live in me, transform my life, and I give my life to your glory. Lord Jesus, do it today. Heavenly Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your great heart of love. Thank you for divine favor, the fullness of grace and truth that comes to us in Christ Jesus. Do your work in all of our hearts today. Gloriously save those who call on your name. 
Encourage the hearts of your people. Miraculously, I pray, undertake now as your people cry out to you for your help and your deliverance as they open their mouths wide for that which only you can provide. Now you're a faithful God. Do your works in their lives in an amazing way and may it be a great testimony to everyone in the world in which we live as individuals. Be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.